0: Hello and welcome to Little Live Story, the podcast where we take a movie, turn it into an anime. And an anime, and turn it into a movie. I'm Jared. And I'm Eric. Alright, Eric. I hate you. I I am... hate you. I know. Eric did not like this one. Yeah, not <laughs> even beating around the bush. No, he's he, we haven't even mentioned what it is yet. Okay, well, here you go. Data Live. Yay! F- fanfare. No.
1: This isn't even fun dislike... I honest and truly just hated this. His opinion of me lowered a little from after watching this. It's true. It's not that Jared's a fan of this anime. It's just that he tolerates it as offensive to me. And every
0: one of you out there who likes this, I don't like you. Eric has strong opinions. Always. Tell them what it is. Data Live is set in the future when spatial quakes have rocked the world, killing 150 million of the Chinese population with the first one. After the initial space quake rocked the world, several followed, and an entire infrastructure change occurred, especially in Japan. Trust me, it, it, we're gonna get worse. We follow Shido in his daily life as he eventually finds himself standing at the epicenter of one of these space quakes. However, it's not just an explosion. There's actually a girl in the center of it.
1: Yeah, there's a fucking magical hot girl and then his sister who's 14 who wants to fucking fuck him because incest is cool in Japan is the leader of an response unit where he has to date the spatial quake girls the end. It's stupid.
0: Kind of summed it up a little angrily. It doesn't
1: matter because I'm not doing anything that resembles that. Yeah, obviously. So it doesn't matter.
0: You're lucky I'm doing it. Yeah, I was so close to not doing it. So part of our little game here is we have the right to choose a skip, quote unquote. Opt out. If we do that, we then get to choose an anime or movie, respectively, that we are familiar with. A gimme. Yeah, but... That means that way later, we will have to return to... Yeah, we can just pass for
1: now, but we would then have to, yes, return later. So, after your anger is out of the way, Eric, or let that go, take us there. I'm not letting it go, but... Okay, so... All right, yes, woosah, center. First things first with this. Date a live... Does not work for the thing I'm turning this into. Who would have guessed? And there's absolutely no good titles I could pull from anything within the text. I even wikied it. There's, there's just nothing I can do to make it into a good title. So forgive me. This is simply entitled "Spirits." Lazy, terrible, single word title.
0: Okay. I mean, I, it will worse. There's worse. It'll fit what I'm doing. It's
1: just not a good title. But there's, it's the best I could do. I tried. Anyway. So we open on these beautiful rolling hills. We see a bunch of wide shots of really nice scenery. It's the kind of quote unquote neighborhood where your nearest neighbor is a quarter mile away, just barely in sight. And after a few establishing shots, we end up seeing who will become our lead. It's an old man, not ancient, but somewhere in maybe their late 60s. Okay. He's walking along his property. We assume just surveying what is his, but then we get one quick close-up that shows that he is visibly distraught and carrying a dog leash. He's looking for his lost pet. We can put that together pretty quickly. Okay. Besides that shot, though, we're all in wide shots. Big, sweeping wide shots of his land and the green pastures and him a tiny dot emphasizing loneliness. You look like you have a question or a
0: comment. I've no, I'm just I'm just waiting Observing. to see how this pans out. Yeah, okay, fair. So we cut to that
1: night and he enters his home, which is a, a nice, humble ranch house, cluttered, not dirty, I'm sure you understand. Yeah. And he clearly not satisfied with how his looking for the dog went, he looks at the leash and sets it up on a coat hook, sits down at a
0: table for dinner or a book or something. A calendar placed up on the wall shows three years ago he's been looking for his dog for that long. Holy shit. <laughs> go, go
1: ahead, take his back. I'll find him someday. <laughs> but so he settles in for some evening activity to take his mind off this, and then loud whooshing crackle from outside, like a like a big muted explosion. He is knocked out of his seat and rushes outside to see, just like the anime... Probably the only time I'll say that. A spatial quake happened. Ooh. Essentially, a giant crater is now surrounding his house. I say surrounding because his house seemed to be at the eye of the storm in that... His house is now on a giant isolated plateau that dips off after about 50 feet into a steep crater that goes on for a few miles in any direction. Huh. So his house is now isolated on this giant plateau. He's obviously super confused. As one would be. He's staring at the destruction around him and looking down the hundred foot decline and realizing he's... More or less trapped here now. And there's crackling residual kind of purplish energy down in the crater, but nothing near him. He seems safe, just isolated. Okay. He dips back inside quickly, grabs his phone to, we assume, call some kind of authority about this. No cell service. Which, that's great. But he does a quick tally of what he's got, and he has well water because of where he lives, and a generator. So he's not in danger yet. Again, just isolated. Mm -hmm. So he checks on that, then walks back outside, and in the far distance, down in the crater, again, a half mile away, he sees a silhouette clearly humanoid very very distant walking he he like looks to try and get a better look and then screams hello can you hear me who are you help me (laughs) can't decide what he wants to say just kind of screams for help the person or persons maybe turns back to regard him briefly, maybe not, maybe just
0: stops. So I, I I'm just curious, how big is this crater? Like big? It's big enough to I- come isolate him. So that means he can't scale the outer walls of the crater if he were to jump down into it. Uh, not
1: easily, especially with his with his moderate advanced age. age.
0: Yeah. So. Getting down into the crater
1: would be dangerous because it's a very steep yeah. decline, and getting back up would be so, even harder. Effectively, he needs need a ladder. He would need one of those rope ladders you descend from a helicopter.
0: Ah, I see. Yeah. So he's very much isolated. Yes. he okay. is,
1: His house is now on a giant hill. Gotcha. But so after he sees this strange figure disappear, he dips back into his house, assumedly turning in for the night because what else is he going to do? Yeah. The next morning, very, very early, because he couldn't sleep, obviously, he walks back out with a pair of binoculars in hand and does a more thorough survey of his surroundings. And this is when we really get a sense for what I've already described, completely isolated, very steep, but far, far off in the distance, he sees what can only be described as some kind of response unit. He sees helicopters and those pop-up military vehicles and tons of people milling about just on the perimeter of the crater. Well, at least they're here. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, they arrive fairly fast, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And he, using some kind of ingenuity, I don't know, like a torch or a road flare that was in his pickup truck, he waves them down, signals, throws his arms up madly, and they spot him. Then there's slight communication established. Let's say one of the doctors walks out with a whiteboard. Jordan writes on it, and they do rudimentary call and responses with thumbs up, thumbs down, asking, are you okay? Are you in any immediate danger? This, that. And they eventually just say, stay put. And he thumbs ups, what else am I going to do? Yeah. You know, that night, he's sitting alone doing old man trapped in a house things. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Reading yesterday's newspaper. He's not that old. No. <laughs> But then he hears, let's say we'd already established a wind chime on his porch, kind of jingle and hit the floor. He puts his, let's say, book down, stands up, walks outside. Wind chime is, as expected, on the porch, and there's no one around. He has kind of that moment of looks left, looks right, looks off into the darkness. The only thing in any sight is the very far distant artificial lights from the response unit. Other than Mm -hmm. that, it's absolutely nothing and there shouldn't be anything, but he half-whisper calls out into the darkness says, Hello? Are you there? Anyone? No response. He Naturally. He kind of gives one last look, sits down on the porch, seemingly waiting to see if someone will come. Three hours later. The next morning later. Oh, geez. He's on the porch for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, he fell asleep on the porch. Okay. And he wakes up, because he can hear distantly stuff happening with the response unit. He whips out his trusty binoculars... And through his POV, we see the response unit trying to enter the crater. I say trying because there's some sort of force field or something stopping them. Not quite a force field. We don't get a full, because we're still through his perspective, Mm -hmm. understanding of what's going on. But we see Humvees and hazmat trucks and people in hazmat suits entering the place. And it seems like maybe there's a field that affects technology or there's some kind of radiation or something because they don't make it. The vehicle's engines pop and sputter and break down. The men in the hazmat suits suddenly start clinging to their masks and screaming. We can't hear the screams, but we can see their mouths screaming just barely. And they fall to their knees and fall over most of them, we assume, are dying. Oh, fuck. shit goes really bad for them really quickly. And the ones that can immediately recede and retreat. He watches this just kind of... uh, Yeah. And just pulls his binoculars down. But as soon as he lowers them, we see off to his right what we'll call a spirit. Okay. Standing on the porch just off to the side is a young woman. She looks wavy, a little wall-eyed... I guess the best way to describe it would be ghostly. Okay. She's wearing a dress that is somewhat reminiscent of a wedding dress without the veil, but just that kind of billowy, big dress. I think it's grayish white and she's very pale. Her eyes are very dull and she just... Like the aura she has is very ghostly. Yes. And the way she acts, her whole demeanor is distant. Mm -hmm. But she's regarding him with some version of curiosity and or looking almost through him and he turns to her slightly nervous obviously yeah when he looks at her he beyond the confusion gets a really almost familiar look the tension and the confusion falls away into almost apprehension
0: like he he maybe recognizes this person okay so some sort of like inkling in the back of his head tells him there's something he recognizes
1: yeah he immediately starts being cordial because he's a very friendly person and starts asking just are you okay what's your name Do you do you need something? And she mostly ignores him, walks around, walks off the porch, just kind of walking around.
0: Mm-hmm. When you say that she walks off the porch, she walks down the hill? No, 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 no. Because again, there's like 50 feet Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the so there's a bit of grass around yes. him. Okay. But now for
1: the first time, we cut to a perspective that isn't our main characters. We cut and we are seeing POV, binocular POV, similar to how we've been viewing the outside world from his side of the response unit. We see our lead regarding the spirit, as we'll call her, through these binoculars. And then the whoever's holding the binoculars lets them fall away. And we get a good look at them. This is, say, our lead military guy or lead scientist, some an authority figure within the response unit. Okay. And he throws up a hand, gestures to one of the passing scientists and wants people to note what's going on. Then we quickly come back to the actual conversation. And our lead offers the... Spirit, uh, let's say a glass of water or something. Okay. He extends his hand towards her, and she, after a long pause, says no. He's baffled she can speak English because he was just assuming she was entirely non-vocal either either
0: mute or non-English speaker yeah
1: but she says no and starts muttering no under her breath five or six times kind of feverishly refusing and he tries to calm her down just throws up hands he's like it's okay it's okay and then she bolts just turns around and vacates the premises after maybe 10 or 11 feet she shimmers away
0: okay cool I like this girl so when so what what's the name of her power is, is, what angel is her power named after? every time you make a joke
1: at the expense of making me think about what this <laughs> anime actually was, I'm gonna make you watch worse horror movies. Uh, okay I'll, I'll shut up. We get another brief lonely scene of him alone in his house regarding maybe family photos or a photo album or no 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 it's um videos home videos. Okay. And he's watching them just reminiscing and then just as the front door opens and the spirit walks in, he pauses
0: the video. That's important, but I won't say why yet. Is it paused with her in frame? Who her? That the spirit like sits like some person that looks similar to the spirit is paused with on frame. She's not in the same frame. But okay.
1: kind of like what you're getting at is yeah. kind of yes, but he welcomes her into his home and they over the course of this scene have a very slow tour of his house and through this tour he more or less just goes over his entire backstory (laughs) he tells her that he joined the military out of high school i was about to joke about i fought in the war he'd served in the military out of high school and was very proud to serve his country but when he came home he had a falling out with his family and needed to get a job and then he started his own family but then he became a workaholic and an alcoholic but he barely mentions that part and had a falling out with his new family that he created, like his daughter and his wife and such, and now he's alone because he never sees them anymore, and he divorced his wife a few years back, and kind of just sad portrait of this nice old man's life. The spirit responds. She's polite. She nods or does occasionally add a question to keep him going, Mm -hmm. but through this whole thing, she is very, I'll say, mistrustful. Sometimes he'll say something and she'll question it as if this is a problem. Like, he'll say, oh, I served in the military. She'll be like, military, so you know how to kill people, don't you? And then he'll be like, yes, ma'am, but and he moves on and (laughs) she's jumping at shadows. He'll open a closet door to show her a photo album or I don't know a bowling ball that he used back in high school or something and she'll leap back expecting a trap or something. So she's clearly very paranoid. Okay. But their conversation goes fairly well. She understands more about him and he's not getting anything of her but he doesn't seem to really care to ask her many questions. He asks a few but she doesn't really respond so he moves on more. So he's
0: just having uh, he's having nice company and he's telling her his life story you know he's having a good time essentially we cut and it's assumedly that
1: night and he's asleep in bed but we hear something clank on the roof kind of loudly Uh, no i'm gonna hold my tongue i don't want to watch a scary movie well you still will well i don't want to increase the scary He exits the house with a flashlight or something, walks around to where the noise was, and there's a parachute hooked on his chimney leading down to some kind of slightly futuristic care package. He unhooks it from the parachute straps and looks at it. Inside this little care package, there's a few things that are more or less... Basic amenities, vitamins, survival kit stuff, a knife. But there's some little strange device that looks almost like a vape pen. And next to it, there's a small earpiece radio. Okay. He takes it and after taking a moment to figure out how it works, slips it in his ear, turns it on and gets talking to someone, that authority figure on the other end in the response unit. And they play quick... Catch up. There's introductions and such, and the military guy asks for a sit-rap and asks, Are you okay, sir? What's your name, sir? Have you had any direct contact with the quote-unquote spirit? Mm Mm-hmm. He having no reason to mistrust this person gives yeah, honest, honest answers. answers exactly and our authority figure on the other end fairly quickly builds up to the fact that he needs our lead to kill the spirit I saw that coming the vape pen is was clearly important this is all an anti vape message What oh my
0: god don't vape kids it's bad for you don't vape kids it'll turn you into a murderer <laughs> you'll go around stabbing pale looking people with vape
1: Yeah sure Anyway, our lead is caught really off guard by this and honestly a bit offended by the notion of having to kill anyone really at this point let alone a basically a nice young lady that just is, is talking to him yeah and he argues against this vehemently he says something along the lines of you can't make me do that it's not my job even if i would and she doesn't deserve it because she's just a nice person she's lost and lonely too he's clearly projecting a little bit but mm. he's also not wrong and like he, he got the right sense but he's also he's also using- clearly just lonely yeah yeah but the, the authority figure guy eventually says, sir, sir, listen to me, Mr. whatever her last name or her lead's last name is. I want you to walk right now to where you looked at me from yesterday. He's like, okay. Steps to the ledge where he was. And the authority figure says, uh, do you have your binoculars on you? He says, yes, I do. Because, of course, he does. And he says, look at me now. He does so, and he can't seem to see him. Okay. The authority figure then goes into an explanation that the girl, the spirit, is the cause of the quake, which he claims killed hundreds of people, and that the quake's epicenter is still spreading. Because the camp was in sight the previous day, Mm -hmm. now it's barely in sight. So they have been moving back. He explains, oh, we had to move our command center back 150 feet just this morning, and by tomorrow, if our projections are correct, we'll have to move back another 300 feet. By next Friday, it will be halfway through the next town over. So you need to fucking man up and do what I'm telling you, sir. Our lead is overwhelmed and says, mm, I'll think about it and hangs up. Yeah. Then we get a scene of him sitting alone the next morning or the next day with his feet dangling off the crater. He looks off at where the camp was, which is even further away now. He's just mournful and contemplating. He's holding that stupid vape pen thing. <laughs> <laughs> I keep calling it a vape pen. I mean,
0: I I understand enough what you're yeah, trying it was, to Yeah, it was just the first
1: thing that I pictured. <laughs> then we cut and he's walking around his house again. And lonely and family photos and stuff on the wall. And the place is even more cluttered and wrecked than it was because he's been living here for some indeterminate amount of time. Not forever, but it's been maybe a week at this point. And his generator's almost out of gas and he's taking stock of what he has left and the water's running brown. His situation is getting worse. Hmm. And just as he's picking up one of his family photos and looking at it, the spirit walks in the door. He puts the photo down, says, come in, come in. Sorry, it's a mess. Spirit doesn't care. Yeah. And he starts to have a conversation where he's immediately trying to lead it to the spirit leaving because mm. he doesn't want her to die yeah he doesn't want to kill her but if she can just stop if she killing can just get people, out of here maybe that would yeah. be great and very quickly into this line of questioning and conversation we learned that our uh, resident authority figure on the earpiece is listening and he starts to talk in our lead's ear egging him on saying stuff like i didn't tell you to talk to her just get within x amount of feet of her press the button and we'll, this will be over sir you'll be an american hero if you don't this will be treason just do what i'm fucking telling you to do and our lead is just ignoring him trying to fight him off trying not to listen while getting bits of her side of the story but she's still being more or less cagey about it and not explaining too much eventually the authority figure dude yells in his ear after he asks a really nice question that's like stop with this shit do what i tell you our lead snaps responds directly into the earpiece very hush just one of those shut up i'm doing my own thing and the spirit hears him Naturally. The spirit turns to him, runs over, snatches his hand really hard and rips the earpiece out of his ear, almost ripping his goddamn ear off Mm. and looks at it, seeming to know what it is. The guy on the radio says, oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And she looks at it, crushes it. Mm -hmm. Then we cut and we are on the authority figure, the military bases side of it where he hears the radio fizzle out, says no signal, looks to the side, punches something, says, good damn it and then raises a hand to a passing soldier and says we got to go to plan b nuke him <laughs> jesus that would be way overkill okay I fine that's plan c yeah we'll get there <laughs> And we got back into the house, and the lead, not really knowing what to say, starts an explanation, and the spirit throws him. Like ghost powers, so kind like, of. like force push. Kind of, and he crashes through a table pretty hard, and he's an old fella, so yeah. it wasn't that great. Yeah. And she starts lashing out and screaming, not even necessarily at him, just at the situation, saying how it's not fair, and she doesn't do this on purpose, and she doesn't want any of this, and every time she thinks she knows someone, something like this happens, Implying that this has happened not just before, but many times before. Mm. And our lead is just looking up at her, wounded pretty badly. Then, as he stares, he slowly be- bleeds out and breathes his last. Yikes. And our lead, realizing that he is in kind of a bad way, looks off to the side, maybe at a picture or just something in his house that reminds him of something, looks back at her and asks one question. He asks, Why do you look like her? She takes a moment but seems to pretty quickly understand. There's a moment of epiphany where she's like, oh, yeah, that. She looks at him and then she goes on to explain that whenever she enters this dimension, world, however she puts it, her spirit has to latch on to another spirit that is familiar with the place she's going. Okay. This spirit, she says, has to have already moved on, meaning that whoever she looks like is dead. Uh, so his daughter's dead? He didn't seem to know that. Oh. There's a moment of grim realization on his face, and he looks up at her with intense, bitter, sweet peace, nods his head, says, Well, thank you for that, then dies.
0: God damn it, Eric. Stop killing our main characters. Nah. At least he died in peace he's still dead in peace he could have fucking lived longer he could have i don't know flown a plane or flown a plane won the lottery i don't know what
1: stop killing our main characters eric anyway the spirit steps outside and sees far off in the distance whatever plan b was which is an armada of drones and unmanned vehicles charging into the zone towards her Now we get close-ups of them because we're not bound to our main character's perspective anymore. Mm -hmm. They're all, in some way or another, holding the fucking vape pen things. So now I'm just picturing drones with vape pens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, drones with
0: like robotic hands holding vape pens.
1: But they're all doing that. And some of them are popping and breaking and being destroyed by the radiation within the crater. But some of them aren't. They're getting a little close to her. Mm. And she stares them down dramatically. And after a moment, she raises her hand. Purple energy crackles. Then we get a wide shot. Boom. Another spatial quake happens, encompassing our leads' house, the entire plateau that we've spent the movie on, and doubling the size of the crater, just barely stopping before the response unit place. Mm-hmm. It takes out some of it, but cut, and we're inside the authority figure dude military guy's tent. When he's looking at some kind of feed on a machine that's showing him drone footage when it goes all white, yeah. crackling static, he dips away, looks outside, sees the explosion, says... Fuck. There's a moment where he stares into the explosion, looking somewhere between odd but mostly pissed. And right after it recedes, we see that the crater is enormous, the house is gone, everything's gone. He looks off to one side, sighs, beats. Then he stands up straight, turns to someone else. He says, Do we have her location? A scientist says, yes, sir. She's uh, resurfaced in Texas, something, someplace. Yeah. And he says, okay, I want, he starts immediately dictating orders. Like, okay, I want a ground team in five minutes. I want uh, wheels up here in 10 minutes so we can be there within the hour, this, that. He's immediately just giving out orders. Mm -hmm. And we slowly zoom out as we see the camp packing up. And we stop at one of the tensor vehicles or something that isn't packed up yet Mm -hmm. on a view screen that shows our leads dossier. Name is military rank his place of birth, is all this, and it's just a big collage of photos of him, and one of them, the one we end on, is a photo of him with his daughter. Ah. Then we cut two credits.
0: Well, he's dead... Yes, but he's at peace. You know, I, that's... and we
1: just end on this note of it will continue. They're still on her trail, yeah. and this the whole thing is just kind of a rumination on loneliness. Mm-hmm. That's all I got.
0: I liked it. Yeah. It was very, very different. Well, but yeah. I liked I, it. I thought the only
1: things I could retain from the fucking anime were the spatial quakes, which I mean that's just sci-fi. I yeah, can, I can work with that. The spatial quakes being caused by an entity called a spirit, which again I can I can take that, and yeah. even I even kept them a female. Yeah. I really thought I needed one more thing to keep it in spirit, in quotes, spirit, <laughs> spirit, <laughs> with the anime, and that was the earpiece, someone being dictated to by someone, mm-hmm. and I guess I also kept the bloodthirsty response unit. Uh, yeah, so I did note.
0: That's, that's what I got. I did note that you kept the un, uh, overzealous. overzealous AST that was not did not care about anything yeah, so other I, than I, killing. I just made it smaller and gave it subtext
1: and took out the incest and the classless bullshit. Yeah. Directed by, if we're discounting personal politics, Brian Singer, if we aren't Robert Zemeckis or Peter Jackson. Robert Zemeckis for Jared, he made Back to the Future and oh. Polar Express. I'm I a, have seen Beowulf.
0: I have not seen Beowulf. I thought you had. No. Okay. I'd and Peter Jackson. Show. You know who Peter Jackson is. Yeah.
1: Our lead is either John Lithgow, who I don't think you know him from anything. His name sounds familiar. Harry and the Hendersons? No. The new Pet cemetery.
0: No, I haven't seen it. I
1: know. Oh, that one was a joke. Or Jeff Daniels, who I don't think you'd know him from anything either. But people would know him from Dumb and Dumber. I know him from Steve Jobs and another Aaron Sorkin thing. Uh, the Spirit is... There's an actress I love named Jane Levy, and I think she could really pull that kind of wafy, wall-eyed, slightly manic, paranoid thing you would know from nothing again. I only know from horror films specifically. Okay. That's the only thing I can specifically name her from. And I don't know who I want the leader of the military response unit dude, but I'm picturing kind of a, a southern tough guy look sort of thing. So maybe maybe a modern day Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper just angry. I was, to
0: be honest, picturing uh, the detective from The Fugitive.
1: Oh, Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. That could kind of work.
0: Yeah. yeah that's that's who I was picturing the entire time. But
1: I don't want like the military cliche specifically that's yeah. why I, w- I never called him like general yeah because wanted- he was like he they were like
0: paramilitary yeah
1: he was just m- he had military at his disposal he specifically wasn't military but yeah. that's just semantics it doesn't really matter and now you bastard you get an easy one because I wanted to start you off for horror ween October ween or scary October month with something spooky but not actually scary well you gave me something hard last week
0: so I deserve an easy one no you don't yeah I do
1: anyway Make an anime out of Pixar's Monsters, Inc.
0: Yay. Spooky, but not too spooky. Yeah. All right, Eric, tell me what it's about, because I don't need a reminder, but some people might. Someone might. Monsters, Inc.
1: is an cute, family-friendly animated movie about two monsters who work at a place called Monsters, Inc. in a world full of, say with me. monsters Monsters, who their day job is scaring kids to produce an energy source which is kids screams and there's a big conspiracy that happens within the company uh, leading all the way up to the management to exploit kids using a new weird machine and there's drama and antics and all that such and such leading up to a solution where they replace the screams with children's laughter because they realize it's much more powerful of an energy source and it's a cute message
0: and everybody loves that movie I love the term their day job is scaring kids and it's true. True. Yeah, Like right? 100% true. That is actually, they go to work with briefcases to go scare kids.
1: Pretty awesome. It's a very cute
0: idea. Yeah. So All right. how the fuck does this anime... We see a bunch of baby foxes playing in the forest. They're rolling around, they're jumping through flowers and whatnot, and then we get narration. There is a legend passed down amongst my people. Now we cut, and we see a singular adult fox running through the same forest but now alone. That anyone who has lived a life full of... Now we cut again, and we now see a young boy in, honestly, attire from... Ancient uh, Japan? Yeah, ancient Japan. Okay. Hugging the fox in his arms. Doubt.
1: I just, one question, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Just for the way I'm picturing this, I'm picturing almost that calligraphy style, like Okami-looking brush strokey art, just because that fits the legend aesthetic in ancient Japan. Yeah,
0: I actually, I, to be honest, didn't think of that, but I like the idea of off on the right, all this is being written down. Cool. All right, and you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Then we cut again, and now we see the same fox, not visibly aged, sitting next to a visibly aged old man who is sipping tea on a porch, and the fox is sleeping. Love. We cut again, and now we see a very old man, like a white, white fuzz on his face and whatnot, holding the fox gingerly, setting him down, and then shooing the fox into the forest. What the fuck was that face?
1: <laughs> I was being the old man probably oh, dying because
0: uh, we're going for that, like, Pixar up sadness oh, in the yeah. opening thing. Freedom. Then we cut again, and now we're back to the original scene of the baby foxes rolling around, running through the field, except rather than focusing on the baby foxes, they slowly part, and now we see a elder fox laying in the grass watching the baby foxes play. Foxes, ink. Foxes, ink. <laughs> Sorry, it was stupid and experiences lived over a life much longer than others. A light slowly trickles down from the sky around the other fox as the other fox slowly closes her eyes and stops breathing. The light then gets brighter and the other fox slowly lifts up and the light gets so bright, it actually engulfs the screen in white and we cut. As the light is engulfing the screen, we hear her say, you become something different, something more, something deified. We go through white, and now cut, and we're looking at a wooden platform of some kind, and we can now see. <laughs> what
1: the fuck is that? Did you just make an entire anime of that one scene for Monsters Inc. that is in fucking Japan? What? No, I don't. I don't. I don't even remember that scene. Yeah, there's a scene uh, when they're jumping between doors, or they enter Japan. I think, unless I'm conflating that.
0: Anyway, um, but maybe. <laughs> I just didn't remember that scene, so it may just end up being the same thing. But regardless, the camera pans up a little, and tilt yeah okay the camera (laughs) tilts up a little and we see a humanoid fox spirit cool completely naked just standing there now you know we're playing with like fun things so there's like a a leaf in the way of her boobs yeah we're censoring it so it's not lewd it's just natural yes (laughs) and she's looking around very confused and we do a 360 pan around her as we show an expansive city all around her built in an ancient japan architectural style but we can still see streetlights and we actually See these basically blimps up in the sky, airships. Yeah, yeah, airships. But with like sprinklers, are like sprinkling some gold dust down. We look at her; she looks very confused. We pan up, and we get the title: Monsters Inc. Wait, it's still called Monsters Inc. It's still called Monsters Inc. Huh. This is a really cute afterlife. Yeah. Can I get in on this, or do <laughs> I have to be a fox? I uh, well, to be honest, you have to be an animal. No humans. So. She eventually stands up after looking around a little bit and she walks down the platform and she enters the city still naked and she just starts wandering around. Like She's like, what the fuck? Where's what's going on? Where where am I? Why am I here? Same girl. Yeah, the same girl. And no, I meant same comma girl. um, I understand. And uh, she's very confused. She doesn't know what's going on. People are giving her weird looks because she's naked. But no one's really being like, hey, there's a naked girl. Yeah. They're just kind of like, don't be naked out in the city. While she's walking around, she sees a whole bunch of different types of monsters. She sees the Ningen, which is a Japanese monster that primarily lives in the water. It's basically a really tall, skinny human with its arms outstretched. Does but she see a kappa? We'll get there. <gasps> she sees a whole bunch of different Japanese mythology yeah. creatures and other animals that clearly have been spiritized. So while she's walking around, like admiring all these weird people that she's seeing, she bumps into a kappa.
1: Yes, bitch. I love kappas. For those who don't know, kappas are turtle demon Japanese cryptids.
0: Yeah. The Kappa then turns around with an angry look on his face and then opens his eyes wide when he sees the fox girl and says, is it really you blank? As it turns out through a bit of exposition, this is the fox's childhood friend, a turtle she used to hang out with. Turtles and foxes known for their friendship. Yeah, well, they reminisce a little and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize that you'd make it here. And she- The fuck was that supposed to mean? Yeah. supposed <laughs> to a- me to go to hell? <laughs> He starts explaining that, like, this place being special and that she's fulfilled certain requirements to get here. But he stops himself short and he's like, you need to go to the information center. Looks her up and down first time, like, really? And is like, you didn't even hear the loudspeaker, and then she thinks back, we get a cutback, and there was a big blaring loudspeaker when she arrived that was like, uh, new arrivals to Yokai City, please enter information booth, and she just, just completely ignored it. Uh, here's where the anime really kicks in here. <laughs> So, he leads her back to the platform and then the information center, where she gets a bit more of a lowdown that this is Yokai City, where monsters of all different kinds, those that have been turned into spirits from living long lives, and those that were born Yokai all live together in harmony. She kind of readily accepts the information. She's still a little weirded out that she's a human, but, you know, she lived around humans long enough that she's not, like unfamiliar with the form she just wasn't a human before and they hand her some traditional japanese clothes like uh kimono sort of yes yeah yeah. well specifically a kimono oh yeah with like some light flower patterns on it only piece of Japanese clothing I knew,
1: so go me.
0: And then she officially explores the city with her Kappa friend. The Kappa friend shows her, like, some cool food places, some, like, dance places, like, lots of cool different spots throughout the city. And that's the end of episode one. Okay. Um, so you said this place is architecturally ancient Japan looking? Yes. However, as I'll...
1: Yeah, if there's a loudspeaker and airships and information booths, it's clearly somewhat modern. Yeah, so
0: technologically, it's modern age. Okay. But architecture Surely it's ancient Japan. Interesting. It's more or less like an entire gutted city filled with modern technologies because there's fridges, there's TVs, there's loudspeakers, there's electricity. There's inks. Yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of things like that, but it's stylized as ancient Japan. Cute. The next little while... She goes around, meets some new people, she goes out and does some cool things with her Kappa friend, and she's just having a great time. Like, she's just having a wonderful life. She's like, oh, this is awesome, you know, this this is cool, freedom and stuff. And eventually her Kappa friend at the mention of freedom, he's like, you need to go to the processing center. You haven't gotten a job yet. Uh, And she's like job if i get to heaven and i have to work a job i'm killing myself again (laughs) i don't know where you'd go from there we'll find out she she's like "Uh, okay yeah i'm not completely against that so she goes back to the processing center and they interview her about what the kind of person she is what her skills are and maybe what her interests are and stuff like that and after a rather comprehensive interview that we only hear parts of they tell her to wait outside she is then escorted into a separate room, which looks a lot like uh, a fighting game training room. White room with like tiles and whatnot. Get over it, Eric. Oh, Jesus. And they have her put her hand on a machine, which, as they explained to her, tests her spiritual power. I liked this at first. Don't worry, it doesn't go that it doesn't go that crazy in that direction that, that you're thinking. Anyway, they test her spiritual power and they have her try putting her hand in the object and pushing force out and pulling force in. And they take some notes and whatever and then they tell her that they've decided on her job and that her official designation is a quote-unquote gatherer. And they explain to her it's a very, very important position. It is undeniably the lifeblood of the city that without her, there is no way this society can be upkept. And she's just kind of getting a little hyped. She's like, oh, well, I didn't realize it'd be that important, you know? I'm down to help the city however, however way I can. Cut to something bad, almost. She has to go to training first. So she goes to training and she starts learning how to pull spiritual power out of plants and maybe an orb that actually has some spiritual power put into it. She learns how to pull it out. It's all about pulling the spiritual power out. And eventually during one of her classes, like actual writing classes where she has to like take notes, she learns that what their job is, is without sugarcoating it, killing people. They pull spiritual power out of humans, bringing the spiritual power back to the city, and that's how they sustain life. Because all people in the city cannot live without spiritual power, and since humans are the only beings that have it in excess, by taking all the human spiritual power, they can continue to survive.
1: Bitch, why don't you just take some?
0: She she then goes into this big complaint. She's like, this is not right. Why are we killing people? And they explain that it's an inefficient process, that, like, only some doesn't give us the full product, and it's a lot of techno babble that she doesn't get. We don't really fully understand the entire picture, but whatever they just in- insist this is how it's done, do it. Yes, they're basically like it's not good to only pull out some, it will not work.
1: So, yeah, I expected you to say that they were going to be grim reapers sort of deals who pull spiritual energy out of dying things, not just. Yo, give me that soul. They do. explain- They're just
0: reavers. Yeah, they do explain that they aren't like monsters, but they they they, they look they... at the title, lady. It well. says Monsters Inc. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm blowing well, the lid okay, off this ta- shit. Ta- technically, if we're really gonna be specific, it's oh, really he's... Yokai Inc. But Uh-oh. the Yokai translates to monsters, so it's Monsters Inc. It's just Japanese. Yeah. Um, we're not really Yokai. <laughs> It just says so in the fucking city. Anyway, so after the Huff and her resignation that this is what's needed to support the city, she decides she'll go through with it. And she finishes training, she gets her certification, then she's sent on her first job. She enters a very fancy, really tall, palace like building with a lot of screen doors. This is reminiscent to the the way Monsters Inc. work, with all the doors that right, like right, right. Yeah. So there is a lot of hanging doors and whatever, but rather than being a bunch of different colors. And honestly, it's really more mundane. There's a lot of just screen door. More doors. uniformity. Yes. And she's told where to go. She goes over to a place and a screen door is brought down in front of her and she's told to enter and bring it back and put it into a container. That's put it in the, the bucket. <laughs> yeah, literally. She takes a deep breath and enters. We enter into a young girl's room through her closet, to be honest, in a modern Japanese house. It's late at night, the young girl is fast asleep, and our main character walks over to her really quietly and stares her right in the face. She starts trembling. She's having a hard time going through with this, and she's trying really hard to justify going through with this, and she doesn't. She then bolts out of the room, shuts the door, and she's breathing really hard. Weak. She then runs out of the soul factory, if you want to call it, and runs back to her friend's apartment without saying any word to the people that were in charge of all the doors and whatever. And she buries her face inside a pillow under the covers and starts like, not sobbing, but just sort of like freaking herself out more by thinking about it. And she doesn't really go anywhere for the next while. Like a couple days, she just stays there. She doesn't go to work. She doesn't really talk to her friend much, even when her friend comes home and says, What's wrong? She's like, I, I can't do this. Eventually, a letter arrives as a summons for her to the Grand Council. Begrudgingly, she has to go. So she makes her way to the Grand Council and she arrives at this opulent building, enters it, and she comes into a room where there's this semicircle of a table, a lot like an official government jury would, like the semicircle, hmm. but the desks are really high up. And we have a smattering of a different variety of species of people in the center. There's just it's an oni they then scold her very badly saying that what she did not only puts her life at risk and the entire city at risk it it risks exposing everything that they are here that she could have very well upset the entire balance of this place and they're basically like i think that's a little extreme guys especially the oni is yelling at her like the rest are like looking on her like you did it bad but he's going full out you fuck the fuck up how dare you fuck up this bad. It, he even goes so far as to claim that if the humans were aware of their society, they would then fight back and they'd be prepared for them and they wouldn't give them their spiritual energy and whatever. And she then just sort of flips and she starts yelling back. And they get into this whole morality argument of what's more important, the human lives that don't care about them versus the society that sustains them and her. That didn't take very long. After the huge argument ends, the council, specifically the Oni, decide that for For two months, she's going to be forced to live in the human world. After the two months is over, she'll be allowed to return. She'll receive new summons to the Grand Council and they'll appraise her then. Monsters paid vacation. <laughs> After she's gone, the Grand Council sort of turned to each other and, again, specifically to the Oni. And they're talking in Laha Stones about how if she goes to the human world and doesn't have the support of the sprinkler systems, which by now we have either established or they're establishing spiritual that, energy. Yeah. that What that golden energy was is that. Their life energy bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's what's feeding the city. That without it, she'll slowly wither and then die. The and and that that she like, cannot. Exactly. Y- yeah. She cannot go two months without it. And then the Oni is like, I didn't want to have to do it, but either she will learn the necessity of her job and she will take a life while over there or she will die. What a deck. She is then escorted back to the platform where she originally came in, and a door that wasn't there before sort of comes out of the ground. She goes through it and now she is on the streets of some Japanese city, just wandering. Is she visible
1: to the people?
0: Yeah. She the people are moving around her like she's visible. She's just to them a girl wearing a fox the fox ears and foxtail. Uh-huh. And it, honestly, in Japan, there's weird people walking around all the time. So there's, you know, she'll get some weird looks, but nothing really crazy. I guess I was overestimating how foxy she looked. She, she's one of the like tame kind of thing. Like she, yeah, she's I got it, very, I got okay, it. gotcha. <laughs> So she's walking around a bit dejected for a while, and then she, once again, accidentally bumps into someone. And that person then turns around, says sorry, and a flyer falls on her face. She looks at the flyer, and it says, new cafe. And then below, it shows pictures of girls with cat ears. And he's like, oh, are you here for the interview? And she's like, what interview? And then she, (laughs) it's not, what are you doing? Wake up. This is a comedy. Get over it. Anyway, uh, she is a little forcefully pushed inside, pushed into the interview where the manager basically falls in love with her. Not literally, but falls in love with. Kind of things uh, she's pretending to be, he thinks. And I have fucking no idea what you meant by she's, that. She's very innocent and she's very cutesy. So he's like, oh, my God, this character that you're playing out is wonderful. It'd be great here. And you already have the full set. So like he's an to, idiot. Yeah, he's an idiot. Okay. 100%. Okay. And um, she's like, uh, yeah, I'll take a job. And he's like, oh, great. So your pay will be blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't have a place to stay. And he's like, okay, in that case, you can have the spare bedroom upstairs. And she's like, okay, that sounds fair. What a giving gentleman. I wish all jobs did that. (laughs) Well, he happens to live upstairs. So he just had a spare bedroom. Anyway, so the next two months play out about what you'd expect. She is now a waitress at this cafe, and she very quickly becomes this star attraction. People come to see her and be waited on by her.
1: Bitch, this is just Squid Girl. No,
0: it's not Squid. Bitch, this is just Squid Girl. All right, fine. Just this part. It's not my fault what my heart told me. However, unlike Squid Girl, the entire cafe has a bunch of people in cat ears and cat tails, but she's obviously the only one that's really like that. But people just think it's an amazing prop, and she even lets people touch her tail and whatnot. And two months comes and goes, and she is fine then at the end of the two months the same guy that escorted her out who is kind of like the ningen that i mentioned earlier but this thing is just sort of more bulky than super tall but still tall doesn't matter uh it escorts her back through this time a random door which leads her back to the platform and she goes right to the grand council she then goes to the grand council and they remark on how she's not dead she looks Happy, she's healthy. So so they just draw the conclusion she must have taken the life energy to sustain her life. And they're like, the Oni specifically is like, I see you've learned your lesson. She's like, Yes, I have. And they send her on her way. She, the next day, then calls out sick, claiming that the after effects of being in the human world, she's now weak and needs some time to recover, and immediately goes to the library. She starts researching something. We don't see what, but she's over the next couple days and maybe weeks, which she keeps calling out sick for, piling up mountains and mountains of books, doing all the this kind of research. After she's done with research, she closes a book rather dramatically and invites herself back to the Grand Council Room, pushing some people out of the way to get in there. She then explains how she learned the secret that tips also work as an energy source tips yeah you just gotta make a little bit of cash yeah no she then explains to the grand council that she has discovered another method that doesn't require killing people and it's an ancient method that people offer it to them the way they used to like with deities yeah tips a little except just no cash cash. She goes into a very impassioned explanation about how she managed to live in the other world this entire time, and she she didn't take anyone's life and whatever. And then the Oni, as you were mimicking, hovers his
1: hand over the independent thought alarm and or trap
0: door and (laughs) or call the guards. Not necessarily a button, but just more like mentally he's just staring like unamused. You are ruining our way of life! The Oni then gets very upset, saying to her that they've swapped to this method a hundred years ago because of the lifestyle that the Japanese people and others have chosen to the (laughs) the Japanese people and others
1: because that's how we measure the world now
0: yeah um have chosen to live their lives Uh, that yes that used to work in the past but it doesn't work anymore and he's clearly very impassioned about fuck you that doesn't work we tried that she then tries to appeal to him saying that he must have some compassion for humans somewhere in his heart which gets him angrier and they argue some more and then eventually one of the other members of the grand council hushes both of them and speaks up all the members have said something at one point except this one Mm. this this now speaks up. She says that she's going to give her two months to prepare whatever resources she needs. Uh, two they months. hand out fucking two months like they hand out candy. <laughs> well, these people live a very long time. We have a two month calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they're going to give her two months to prepare whatever resources and uh, equipment and people necessary to provide, quote unquote, results. And she says that if she proves successful, they will reconsider what they're doing and change their ways. She then smiles and we cut. We get a title card. Two years later, we now see our Fox main character walking down the street in a full suit and tie entering a very large building. She walks into the front door, says hi to some human janitors and whatever and then walks past a receptionist who buzzes her in, enters the elevator next to a monster. Takes the elevator up, says goodbye to the monster, walks right past a monster talking to a human, walks past them and goes in and enters an office. Sits down at the desk, we see her name on the name card. She opens the drawer, picks up some papers, ruffles them, then looks up at the camera, smiles, credits. Now, A lot like how The Incredibles had that interview scene at the beginning of the movie. We see that, except it's with her and other monsters being interviewed. Cute. And they're being interviewed about who they are and like what they're trying to do here and whatnot. She's very like happy and she's like, yeah, we wanted to set up a whole new organization, something to show the world something new. They explain how her business, which is in the entertainment industry, has dabbled in a variety of different things, including idols, uh, party entertainers, like putting on shows, doing television basically doing everything they can and we get the interview with the kappa who's also working there uh the ningen who doesn't say anything during the interview just sort of sitting there and out of frame like they're centered on his chest when his head is uh, on the roof that's kind of funny and then it ends with the entire staff of the building all standing outside the building and they're like welcome camera slowly picks up a little to monsters inc now i'm done i <laughs> Brave of you to liposuction out any
1: stakes you were building up to. Well, there were stakes, but she solved them off screen without solving them. Cool. Any ps's? No, no. The, the ps was the. Uh... I meant from you, no, oh. like not in the oh. fiction.
0: Well, I mean. Mm... The only other thing is that I specifically, I knew there was a big climax, but I couldn't really think of a good way to do that other than because I decided from the beginning, I wanted this to be more of a comedy than anything else. guess I should have said it at the beginning, but this was always portrayed through a comedic veil. So a lot of the actions and interactions were comedic in their fashion. So I felt that a big fight wouldn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't have to be a fucking fight to have stakes. No. It can be a story. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Then where was it? In two years, Skip.
1: That's not an ending. <laughs> Boo on you. Bad. <laughs> I loved it until she got to the city. So you loved the first 10 seconds? I loved that whole opening bit with the foxes and I, I waking was, up with the fox I, I, tail I, I, I was I was proud of that. I like that. Yeah, no, no, Waggle's finger. <laughs> Boo on you. All right. There you have it. Both of those things. Eric's least favorite episode. Yeah, this is a really fucking hard episode to get through. (laughs) But don't forget to follow us on our respective social medias, but more importantly on the podcatchers and podcast apps and stuff. It's all a little live story. We're all there because you don't want to miss this, do you? (laughs) Again,
0: Eric's least favorite episode. That'll get him. Yeah. All right. uh, Anything else? No, I think I'm all good. Cool. Well... You're Jared. And you, Mr. are Eric. And thank you for listening to our little live story. And have a wonderful day.